0: Let's dive into God's Word and before out of habit you flip straight to Luke's Gospel, uh, make note we're actually not going to be there this morning. Uh, we are going to take a step out just for this Sunday. Um, there's something that was on my heart. And really, as I was looking at what was coming next in Luke's gospel, I thought, gosh, I'd want to kind of build some momentum on it with a few messages in a row with Ronnie preaching next week. Uh, I just took that as the cue to do something that I was already kind of praying and considering doing. So we're going to be in Genesis. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, we've got some handsome young men that will get you a Bible. If you uh, don't... If you don't own a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. Although I guess people are legitimately taking them now, so we're running out, (laughs) which is great. Uh, We're going to buy more. Maybe we already did. I don't know. Uh, We did? Okay. Then feel free to take them. Uh, (laughs) We're in Genesis 8. I'm going to skip around just a tad bit uh, for the sake of time and focus, but... um, Genesis eight, looking at uh, part of the story with with Noah and the covenant God God makes. So Genesis eight, verse thirteen, is where we're going to start. We'll read to verse twenty two, then we'll skip. If you see it on your handout there, to chapter nine, verse eight, and continue for a little bit. So uh, I'll cue you, but let's just um, let's just read. We'll pray and and, and dive in here. We got to get moving. In the next, or I'm sorry, in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, "Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you." Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease now drop down to um, chapter 9 verse 8 and we'll continue then God said to Noah and to his sons with him behold I established my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you the birds the livestock and every beast of the earth with you as many as came out of the ark it is for every beast of the earth Let's pray. God, this is that pivotal moment in our weeks, Lord, where we gather in particular as a church, as your people, to hear from you collectively, together. This is the pivotal moment in our weeks where we come to you in worship, come to you with our prayers, and we come to you longing for realignment, longing for reorientation. Lord, as the days unfold, we often get disoriented. Confused, We place our hope in lesser things. We lose our hope altogether. We lose our way in the mist, the fog, the dark. We make more of ourselves than we should. We make less of you than we ought. We grow bitter with you. We grow bitter with each other. We feel condemned. We feel self-righteous. We need realignment. We need to be reoriented within the true story. We need you to come, God. Show us who we are in light of who you are help us to see we're neither as great as we think we might be or as or as as, as hopeless because you have entered into this world in Christ shown us we are sinners beyond measure but we are loved beyond measure still so I'm praying that you would use the time we have maybe even save Brothers and sisters here who do not know you. Realign those of us who have been wandering. Strengthen our feeble knees. And keep us pressing on in this pilgrimage towards heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... I do need to keep an eye on the time this morning, I realize. Keep me accountable. Um, You have my permission to pull stones out of your pockets at around uh, (laughs) 1025. (laughs) All right, let's go. Um, the title of this morning's message, you may have noticed it on your handout, is Going in Circles, and that's going to be a theme that I'm going to riff on here. You may not understand what in the world I'm referring to when I say that. Hopefully in just a few moments you will. Um, The background for this sermon is actually a kind of home group leader training that I just recently finished up, so maybe some of the leaders in here uh, were a part of that, Um, but I took them through kind of a manual that I've been developing for home groups and the leaders there. And the last thing that we looked at, the thing that we kind of finished out on, was the idea of evangelism and mission and things. And in the course of looking at some of that, I gave some suggestions on what, uh, you know, evangel- evangelism might look like in the groups and some ways, that, you know, that they could work that out. And then uh, the last thing really that I said was this idea of uh, going in circles. The last encouragement that I gave was, hey, let's go in circles. Remember, in the midst of all of our strategies, in the midst of all of our attempts to reach people, let's go in circles. What? Did I mean by that? Well, actually, all I'm going to do, if you'll permit me, I know I'm breaking preacher's protocol here. Uh, I just simply want to read what I wrote uh, in that manual to you. It's actually on the back of your handout if you wanted to see it um, and read with me. I will flesh this out. This really is kind of the claim, the thesis, if you will, of this sermon. And then I'm going to spend the rest of uh, my time this morning trying to make a case for it and maybe illustrating a little bit for you. So, let me read this. Go in circles. With this I simply mean to say persevere with those you are trying to reach with the gospel. Often we think of evangelism as a line. We get into relationships with people in an effort to bring the gospel to them. We will put up with typical relational niceties, we will walk about the or we will talk about the weather go to dinner parties and so forth, but we will only go so far. There comes a point where we must get to what we've really been after all along. We must share the gospel. So we share, and to our dismay, they are uninterested. They push back. We quickly counter. Things get awkward. What now? We often don't know how to proceed. Our whole purpose in this relationship was to share the gospel, and we didn't close the sale, so to speak. Evangelism was a line. It was point A to B to C, and things didn't progress as planned. So the relationship ends. But should it? Don't misunderstand me. Certainly it is not wrong to pursue relationships with unbelievers in hopes of bringing the gospel to them. Such efforts can be the very essence of love. And what's more, there certainly are times when Jesus calls us to move out on his mission in straight lines. We might think of the time where he sends out the 72. We just saw this in Luke 10, right? And he instructs them to stay and minister in those towns that receive them, but to move right on past those towns that reject. You remember him saying, just wipe the dust off your feet and go. Sounds like a line to me. Point A to B to C. Okay, you didn't want to proceed? We're cutting it off. We might think of those seemingly harsh words in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. So I know that there are certain missions that call for lines, and I know that there are certain relationships that must eventually be moved on from. But I also think that most of our everyday evangelistic efforts will play out like circles. We will draw near to people, ask to hear more of their story, listen and engage, serve them as best we are able, share the good news of Jesus with them, and they will reject it. But the relationships, the friendships we are forming, don't have to end in love in patience in perseverance we simply bend that line back and go around again we continue to draw near we ask for more we listen and care we love and serve we pray and pray and as God opens doors we share the hope of Jesus once more perhaps it gets a little deeper we go in circles and we get somewhere Okay, so I'm aware that I probably need to reiterate what just took place and in, in, in what I read there, but I wonder if you're at least starting a bit to be kind of with me in this. Um, a lot of times, we can perceive of and conceive of evangelism as a line. Uh, where, okay, I need to share my faith, I want to be a good Christian, so I'll try to get in a relationship with X, Y, and Z, because I hear they're not a Christian. Uh, maybe we'll ask them a few stories, I'll hang out with them for a little while, but then i got to get to what I'm in this relationship for. And if they don't want to proceed towards Jesus with me, I don't necessarily, if I were to put it bluntly, see the point in this relationship anymore. I'm not sure it's going to go where I hoped it would go, and so I guess I'll move on. We can sometimes see evangelism approach evangelism as a line. But evangelism as a circle says, hold on a minute. Yes, there may be times where God calls us or certain missions where God calls us to go out in lines if you will, and and proceed in that way. But most of our everyday evangelism is going to be engaging in relationships, being rejected, and just simply wrapping that uh, uh, line back around into a circle and going around with them again and again and again. In fact, the reason why I feel called to kind of push this into the culture of our church is because I think this is probably what will be the most effective uh, evangelistic strategy we can have in Silicon Valley in this post-Christian culture if you will. You know what I'm talking about when I say post-Christian? I mean these are not people who have, you know, are just hearing it for the first time. These are people who have heard it, had all sorts of bad associations, experiences whatever with it and now no longer want to hear it at all. Think they know what it is and don't like it. With these sorts of people, here's what you find. In this sort of culture, here's what you find. The first go-around, uh, the first couple go-arounds of the circle, if you will, all you're simply doing, hopefully, is just simply rewiring associations. You're, you're dealing with some of the baggage. I thought Christians were this way. I thought that God was this way. I had this experience in the church. I knew about this and this and that. And you're going, you're not fitting any of those stereotypes. You're still here. You still want to go... For a hike with me, you still want to go catch that movie, you still want to go grab coffee, even though I don't like you and I don't like your God. It's a paradigm buster, if you will. And in a post-Christian culture, the circle is one of the most, uh, I think, important strategies we can have if, if we actually want to move people along down the line. Towards repentance, faith, Jesus. Uh, I do want to make something abundantly clear. I'm not opposed to evangelism as a line. Just, just throw that out there. If by line we're talking about the direct forms of evangelism, like knocking on doors, passing out tracks, preaching on the street corners, I'm not opposed to any of that. In fact, man, it was awesome when I was on the plane to uh, the Gospel Coalition conference last week. God just opened up this beautiful conversation uh, with this woman next to me, and I was able to share the good news of Jesus with her. Now, let me tell you, I, I, I don't have her number, I don't have her email, I have her name, and I'm praying for her, but that's about it. Evangelism was a line. We need to share our faith. We need to communicate. We need to recognize that wherever we go, we want to bring the good news of of Jesus. But we also need to be ready to really pour ourselves in and and, and go around in circles with people. Help them in their skepticism and their doubt. Be patient, long-suffering. Go around and around as long as you want. I'm here. Because what I'm saying is that the idea of the circle, I'm not opposed to the line, just I think the idea of the circle is going to be, especially in our post-Christian culture, where we will find most effect. Now, in typical idiom, um, the idea of going around in circles means you're wasting your time. Okay? It means you're wasting your time. In fact, it's so funny. Uh... I actually saw when I was just looking that up. I, I saw a study that had been done, like a scientific study. I, but I guess it was for like a you know a reality TV show where they're like, do people really walk around in circles when they get out in the wilderness? Like I see this happen in the horror movies or whatever, like, uh, or you know when people are lost in the woods and they're like, oh my gosh, that tree looks really familiar. Oh, we just walked in a circle. Like, do people really do that? And actually, the scientists said, yes, they do. Uh, if you don't have visual kind of landmarks or the sun, if it's like a cloudy day or something like that, they put GPS on people in the desert and in the, and in the woods. And they're like, no way. They're just walking in circles. And the idea with this, obviously, is that we are wasting our time. And even more than that, we are spending all of this energy and going nowhere. And that's where the attraction of the line comes from. It's like, hey, I want to move from A to B to C now. But I'm telling you what we'll find out in, 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 in uh, Genesis 8 and other places in the scriptures. is, no, oftentimes the way that you're going to get people progressing down the line. The, the way that God works with us is just to go around in circles. To deal with our skepticism, our doubt, our rejection with patience, long-suffering, love, kindness. And little by little, we actually get somewhere. So the surprise of the gospel is that it is often going around in circles with people in love for them, patiently persisting with them, even through initial rebellion and rejection, that actually moves them forward along the line towards repentance and faith. That's my claim. That's my hypothesis. Now, all that I want to do with the rest of the time is largely just look at the basis for that claim from the scriptures. Like, where am I getting this from? And then just share with you a quick story and as we kind of consider the outworkings of it. What does it actually look like working out? I had obviously a lot more on that. Uh, but if you're familiar with me, you know that I typically have to send that into the archives uh, to uh, keep from torturing you for two hours every Sunday <laughs> all right, so first, the basis for this claim um, that walking in circles is one of the most effective ways to 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 uh, uh, help people progress down the line towards Jesus um, in one sense, the basis from the scriptures for this is actually quite simple, um, really, we could say it's simply uh, Founded upon the very nature of God. The idea of walking in circles with people, patience with those who are rejecting, skeptical, whatever, uh, is actually just kind of, it arises, it emerges quite, um, easily, simply from the nature of God himself. You recall when God is, you know, Moses kind of comes up to, to the Lord there, and he says, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to proclaim my name. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you what I'm like. You remember what he says in Exodus 33, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The idea that he puts forward when Moses says, tell me what you're like. Tell me your name. Tell me your nature, your character. Show me your glory. God says, "Okay, you want to see it? Here's what it is. I will absolutely be a holy God. Who no doubt will in the end exact justice on those who have rebelled. And those who have sinned. Those who have rejected. But I am so slow in getting there. I am so patient. Long-suffering. Steadfast. I will endure a long time. I will go around and around in circles before I let that day of judgment come. This being the very nature of our God, it's no wonder then that as we kind of look at the biblical narrative, we watch this kind of play out as the scriptures unfold, right? One of the clearest examples would be there in Genesis 3, the fall of man, where God had said the day day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, they ate of it and they're not dead, at least not completely, at least not totally. It's not over. Yes, we know they died spiritually. Yes, we know in his holiness he had to send them out of the garden. But before he does, he clothes their naked shame, covers it, and he gives them a promise of a coming redeemer. And he, 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 he talks about Eve being the mother of the living. He promises life to come. In other words, he says... I'm not just going to cut you off. This wasn't just a point A to point B to C for me. Okay, you don't want to go to C? We're done. This is, I'm going around in circles. Let's go around again. We're going to get this. Because I'm slow to anger. Bounding in loving kindness. I'm going to suffer long with you. If it means you might repent and turn. And this really is... The idea that he puts into covenantal form with Noah as we now make our way into our text for the more this morning um, it 's this very idea of him being slow to anger and things that we see him basically just putting in covenantal form there in Genesis eight and nine. Um, you probably remember the story. Um, regarding Noah but let me at least give you a few high points uh background just to kind of make sure we're uh, on the same page with what we what we read there at the beginning um God had abided with man you remember through however many centuries of rebellion and rejection since Adam um, God has continued to to abide, continue to be there, and, and then it says, basically, at, at some point, kind of reaches boiling point for him. This is uh, Genesis six five and se- five through seven. These are some of the most tragic words in all the Bible. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. There is grief in the heart of our God because of the wickedness that's in the heart of man. You and I, the stuff that's in here makes our God cry. And it reached a boiling point. He said, okay, I persevere. I've abided. It's reached a boiling point. It's time to wash this place out. But before he does, we're told in the very next verse that Noah found favor, or in the Hebrew, grace in the eyes of the Lord. And So God preserves the human race in one man. He brings representatives of the animals and creatures uh, to that one man and his family. And from them will begin to repopulate the earth. It's basically a recreation motif is what we see here. Just as God parted the waters and the earth came forth and he put Adam and Eve there, now the waters are going to close in on the earth and then he's going to start again. The text picks up then at the end of that flood and the waters now are abating. The earth is drying and God brings Noah and his family and the animals that were with them out of the ark. And he's going to enter into this covenant with them. And this is what I want you to see. I'm going to bring out three things here. But remember, I'm just trying to lay a a groundwork for this idea that God goes in circles and we should be doing that too. So let me bring out three things from um, our text. Obviously, we can't look at it all. Uh, but I want to show you, first, man is sinful. Second, that God gives time. And third, that the Savior is coming. Uh, so first, man is still sinful. This is, uh, again, the tragedy of the flood. In Genesis 8.21, we read of God saying this, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Why? For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, this is Genesis 8 now. This is after God was washing the earth out in the flood. And he gets to the end of it all, and he says the very same thing he said back in Genesis 6. The whole reason he brought the flood in the first place was man's, you know, the intention of his heart is evil. He comes out from the flood, and he goes, well, darn it. Man's heart is still evil. Obviously, God's not surprised by this. He knows what he's doing. But nonetheless, that had to be a depressing moment. I don't know if you've ever gotten a stain on... You know, maybe your favorite blouse or your favorite shirt or whatever, and you you're willing to try whatever, you're even Googling kind of what are the best techniques. You're dropping salt in the you know, whatever it was to bring it out. You've got the powders and the gels, and you throw it in the washing machine, and then it comes out, you're un, you're unfolding, it's the moment of truth, and that spot is still right there. And that's what's happening here. It's like we just threw you into the wash, and it changed nothing. In fact, um, some of you may know where the story goes from here, but in the verses that follow our text, it, it's it's almost ridiculous. Noah, this guy who you, you think is kind of this, this herald of righteousness and he's the strong follower of God. Well, immediately following this covenant God makes, him, Noah's like got a vineyard going. He's drinking from the fruit of the vine. He gets smashed. He's laying naked on the floor. We're just going, oh, this is, yeah, this sounds about right. This is what humanity does. So this is the new Adam. This is the restart. This is the recreation, the one who's going to bear fruit and multiply and fill the earth. This is the sort of, this is what's happening. We're just redoing this. Man is still sinful. So then the question becomes, how does God respond? And that gets to the second thing that I want you to see. He doesn't just do away with us. In spite of these things he sees in our heart, God gives time and even blessing. You might even say God goes around in circles again and again and again. He commits to that with us. Keep reading from verse 21 and uh, you'll see it. I will never again... Curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. I mean, the logic there makes no sense to you or I. Did you see that? I will never again curse the ground because of man. Why, God? Why won't you do that? Because man is evil. What? I thought that'd be the reason why you should curse the ground and why we should just end this thing and wrap up the history books before the whole, you know, history of war and violence and debauchery gets started. The logic doesn't make sense. But what he's saying is, listen, even though you are still evil, because I am who I am, patient, slow to anger, because I love you, I'm going to keep bringing good gifts. I'm going to keep the created order stable. There's going to be sun and There's going to be rain. There's going to be day, night. There's going to be seasons. There's going to be stability. There's going to be good gifts. Whether you reject me or not, my posture is grace, long-suffering, love. And then it's interesting. In uh, verse 8 and following of Genesis 9, God takes this commitment that he makes there in verse 21 and he seals it with a covenant. He seals it then with a covenant. But what I want you to notice, and plenty of commentators point this out, this covenant is different than uh, pretty much all the others that would follow. What I want you to notice is who God actually makes the covenant with. Because all the um, covenants that will follow, God makes the covenant with... Uh, Abraham with his chosen people you could say with specific groups within the human race the line of Israel so Abraham and or Abraham Abraham and then um, you know Moses and Israel and, and and then Jesus and the church chosen people David he's he's making covenant within that chosen line but here in Genesis 9 the covenant is is made with much broader audience I want you to see it. Verses 9 and 10. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, even the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, for it is for every beast of the earth. So the idea is that God is making this covenant with the whole world. And He's making this covenant with not just His chosen people, the line flowing from, you know, uh, uh, Abraham onto the Messiah and the church. This is a covenant that he is making with the entire world and every human in it, good and evil, those who are wanting and interested in following him and those who could care less. He says, I am committed to doing good to all of you. <laughs> I am committed to going around in circles again and again and again with you. I get this idea of God going around in circles because it's literally kind of what is happening if you look at it. Really, literally what he's saying when he makes this commitment to keep the earth stable with the seasons and day and night, he's saying, I, I'm committed to keeping the earth in its orbit around the sun as it circles the sun. But really what we get is God is going in circles with us. He is going around with us. He is staying good with us day and night. He's not just going to let it spiral off because he's mad at us. He's going to keep it. Stable and steady because he loves us and he's patient. you keep going around, going around, going around. I mean, that changes things, right? That should change the way you view the transition we're now about to make into fall. I love fall. I mean, California is like, is it ever going to come? I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the, the world is falling apart. It is going to so the seasons aren't changing, but it should change. I mean, you watch a sunrise. You watch a sunset. You want to know what you should see? The long-suffering, patient love of your God for a wicked, rebellious world, yourself included. And it should blow us away that He keeps this place the way that he does and he gives us the good gifts that he does this is really what stands behind perhaps uh, a text you're more familiar with in the sermon on the mount when jesus talks about the love we should have for our enemies matthew five forty four and 45 jesus says this i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Did you hear that? It's beautiful. And it has its foundations in the Noaic covenant, if you will. And even behind that, the very nature of our God. But the idea is that, listen... I want you to love your enemies. Why? Because your father, that's what your father is like. How do I know Jesus? Well, let me ask you, when the sun came up this morning, did it just come up and shine down on the houses of the the disciples of Jesus and the Christians while maybe your neighbors who are some other religion or atheist or whatever, they're just kind of left in the shadows. There's like this gloom over it. Just always overcast like those cartoons where there's a cloud and lightning bolts over their head. Is that the sort of world that we live in? No. He said, walk out your door in the morning and you want to know what you'll see? The same sun that gives light to you is giving light to them. Why? Because your father loves them. And you should too. It's another text, Acts 14. This is when Paul and Barnabas are ministering in Lystra and they heal a man crippled from birth. And the people there seeing this are, are taking them to be gods. Okay, these are Gentile, pagan, unbelieving people. They see some dude just got healed. They go, oh my goodness, the gods have visited us. Paul and Barnabas, they're bowing down. They're about to make sacrifices, offerings to these guys. And Paul and Barnabas catch wind of that. Here's how they respond, verses 15 to 17 of Acts 14. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, hear this now, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. These are evil, wicked, unbelieving men who want nothing to do with God. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, brothers, sisters, God has been so good to you. Did you catch that? He said, He has not left you without witness. Even while you were wandering and running away from Him, He has not left you without witness. Well, what's His witness? The Noahic covenant. Fruitful seasons. The, 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 the good stuff of this earth. The sunshine and the rain. And he did all this because he knows this is how he's going to draw. This is his witness to his glory and his grace. The idea really is that God going in circles like this, going around and around with a fallen creation. It's how he's going to draw you back into the line. It's how he's going to help you move towards him. This is his witness. The circle is how he gets us on the line. Now, can this be abused? That God gives good gifts to evil people? <laughs> Certainly it can. Will people take it to mean that he doesn't care? That God is lax? That he's perhaps not holy? That he's not a judge? That he's maybe not even coming, like they're talking about in 2 Peter 3. Where's the promise of his coming? Seems like ain't nothing's changed. We're just living the way we want. God don't see anything. So yes, it can be abused. Yes, people will misunderstand. But that doesn't change the fact that as Peter puts it in Second Peter 3.15, we are to count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He's patient. He goes around in circles because he wants people. He knows that's how people are going to get on the line. Salvation. Or as Paul puts it in Romans two four, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He's talking to the Jews there, if I recall, and he's saying, don't think, don't think that God is not going to be severe with you just because you get away with stuff. His patience, his kindness is meant to, to, to soften, to warm, to break your heart in love for him, the one who's loved you, even in spite of what you've done. He is patient not because he is lax, but because he wants none to perish and all to reach repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. In other words, again, just to reiterate, God commits himself to going around in circles because that is one of the chief strategies, the chief ways he's going to get us on the line. Third thing I wanted you to see. So first, sin is still here. In man, second, God gives us time. Third, now, Jesus is coming. I want you to see this even there in Genesis 8 and 9. um, That his patience is salvation becomes clearer when we consider what happens as a result of this covenant with Noah. God, with this covenant uh, that he makes with Noah here, is, in fact, kind of establishing his patience. He is saying, I'm not going to judge. I'm not just going to wash the earth every time I see sin rise up in their hearts because then this would just be the endless cycle. We'd go nowhere. But instead he says, okay, I'm going to hold off that judgment. I'm going to be good to you. And in doing that, his patience literally leads to salvation, meaning it literally makes room for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, if God stopped Human history, every time there was sin in our hearts, there would be no Abraham. There would be no Israel. There would be no David. There would be no Solomon. There would be no Jesus. There would be no salvation. There would be no church. There would be no mission. There would be no heaven. And there would be no glory for you or I. So this Noahic covenant is God saying at the outset, I will remain. Merciful, patient, going around in circles with you so that we can develop this line, so that the Messiah can come and you can be saved. What he's doing here then is not only making room for us to come to the cross, he's actually making room for the cross to come to us historically as the scriptures unfold. He establishes His commitment no matter how much you hurt me, no matter how much you reject, rebel against me, I will stay my ground. It's no wonder then that even here in our text we have pronounced and moving foreshadows of the Savior's work. I'll give you just two and I'll have to do it quickly. I wonder if you noticed uh, verse 20, 21, what it actually is that initiates This kind of covenant, commitment God makes with Noah in the first place. Did you catch it? Noah gets off the ark and what does he do? Sacrifice. He takes of the clean animals, we're we're, we're told, and, and some of every clean bird. And he offered burnt offerings on the altar. And then, verse 21 of Genesis 8, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said, All that follows. It's in view of the sacrifice that God breathes in deep and goes, okay, man is going to be evil continually. The heart is a big problem. But I will remain faithful in view of sacrifice. In fact, Paul would later take the very Greek equivalent of this idea of a pleasing aroma in Ephesians five two, and he would apply it to the work of Christ on the cross. He says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering. It smells good. In other words, how is God going to keep going around in circles with us? How is he able to commit to that with us and for us? because of the work of Christ it's pictured there in that burnt offering those sacrifices and it's fulfilled when Jesus arrives and heads to Calvary but there's actually something more uh, profound that I wanted to bring out here something that actually took me by surprise though it shouldn't have I do re- recall it now from my seminary days but for some reason um, I lost track really of what the rainbow is I I, I so, you know, when, when God makes this covenant, he puts as the sign of this covenant, we're told, the rainbow there, are Genesis 9, 12 and following. And I don't know about you, but I kind of just started seeing somewhere along the way, a rainbow as kind of its own thing. Like, it's a rainbow. It's, 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 it's pretty. It's perhaps even cute. It's, it, you know, I've got little girls running around my house and, uh, you know, they're going to be my little ponies for, uh, Halloween, of course. And what is Bella going to be but Rainbow Dash? You know, the little pony that when she, she does the sonic rain boom or whatever and she flies and a rainbow just shoots out behind her. It's like this cute kind of thing. Care bears are sliding down them. We, we think of a rainbow on its own terms, right? Like something cute, something fun, something beautiful, perhaps. And I completely forgot to make the connection that what we're actually talking about when we talk about a rainbow is not just a rainbow, one word, but a bow. In other words, a, a, a warrior's bow, a weapon of war. That's what a bow is, and when you look at the Hebrew word kashet, there the only other times it's used, it always means a warrior's bow, an archer's bow, the thing you take to battle. It's not cute. There's not little Care bear sliding down on it. It's a symbol of war. It's a weapon. And God says, here's the sign of this covenant that I am making with all of my creatures, with all of creation, good and evil. Here's what I'm going to do. This is what commentators would read into this. Then I'm going to set my bow in the clouds. And here's what they'll say. It's as if God is kind of putting his bow in resting position. He's hanging it up. He's saying, I'm done making war. On the sins of this people. I'm done firing my arrows at sinful men and women. I'm hanging it up. But I would go even further. If I may, take some liberty and say, you know what? Yes, God is certainly removing his bow uh, from direction towards the earth. But I would say, man, if I'm not mistaken, it looks to me like the bow isn't just hung up. It's pointed up. Meaning, what I see when I look at the rainbow is God saying, not only am I not going to aim the arrows of my wrath at a fallen world, I'm actually going to turn that arrow upward and I'm going to aim it into the heart of heaven. I'm going to let the arrows of my wrath sink deep into my own heart. Of course, we know that's what the cross is all about. God's wrath poured out on his only beloved son. Why? Because he loves a fallen and wayward world. He he wants to be patient with us. What God is saying is, I will be faithful to you. I will be patient with you. I will be long-suffering with you to my own hurt, to my own pain. And I will seal that for you on the cross. When that arrow sinks into the treasure of heaven, my own son. I mean, That's what I think we see. That's the idea of, uh, 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 of, of the rainbow. That's the idea of this covenant. That's the idea of God going in circles. He remains faithful to his own hurt to make room for the coming Messiah in view of the coming Christ and his work on the cross. We owe our salvation. To this. Let me just think about this with you. We we may go a few minutes over, and I so break out those stones if you want. <laughs> I'm almost I'm almost done, I promise. But I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Think about yourself at your absolute worst. For some of you, maybe that's hard to do because you think you're so awesome. <laughs> Others of us, it's right there, isn't it? Just right here. Oh, I know. I know that day. Maybe it was yesterday. Think about yourself at your absolute worst. I don't care if you were a believer yet or an unbeliever at the time. Doesn't matter. As far as I'm seeing it, God's making this covenant with wherever you're at. What were you doing? Maybe it's you're lost in kind of the back alleyways of sexual sin on the Internet. Doing things You couldn't even bear to utter right now. Maybe you're drowning in booze or in some other substance. Just claiming your life. Maybe you said yes to that abortion and it is killing you to this day. Maybe you said yes to that boyfriend who was pressuring you to get into bed and it's killing you to this day. Maybe you're raging on this or that person who hurt you, and you're scheming the ways that you're going to get back, and you're giving in to that, and it feels good. I mean, take you at your absolute worst, and now let me show you how God responds. Number one, he is sad. Number two, he's not surprised. Number three, he takes the bow of his righteous judgment, loads it with the arrow of his wrath, and he turns it upward towards himself and lets it sink into the heart of his son. That's his posture towards a fallen humanity. Is the day of judgment coming? Yes, beware. Don't take his patience to mean he is lax. And he don't really care about your sin. He does. It grieves him. But he has made provision. And for all who flee to Christ, it is an eternal provision. And you are secure. And his posture is one of long-suffering, patience, kindness, commitment, covenant. Steadfast love forever so now the question becomes if that is who god is for us if that is who god has been for us if that is who our father is for good and evil alike in this world is that who we are for others if we're talking about evangelism as a circle are we in that circle going around with others to our own hurt to our own pain, to our own loss. Let's go around again. Because you've got to know him. I want to make room for you to see him. Or is it, you know, it's getting kind of awkward. It's getting kind of hard. I think I'll just move on. Hang out with the people that speak my language. It's a lot more, you know, fun. As we come into this idea of the outworking of this principle or strategy all i simply want to do is share with you just a touch from my story i can't share with you all of it but just the part that is pertinent Um, i came to cal poly hardened i would say to god uh rejecting him um no longer really interested Uh, uh, I had a bad taste in my mouth from Catholicism. I still was interested in the idea of God. And maybe even in what other branches of Christianity would have to say. But I certainly was a bit suspicious of of anything that could be found in Jesus. Uh, I've seen the hypocrisy. I've seen the whatever, the nominalism. And I come into the dorms with that sort of mentality. But the amazing thing is, Campus Crusade at that time, and I think even still to this day, was huge and slow. St. Louis Obispo, where I went. And so they had Bible studies in every dorm. And... Wouldn't you know it? There was one in my dorm. And of course, I'm getting invited all the time. And so, yes, finally. Okay, yeah. All right. I, I, I consider myself a spiritual person. I'm still interested in truth and God and all these things. So I'll go see what you have to say. Certainly, there does seem to be something different. You guys at least believe. Now, I'm not meaning to knock all Catholics. So forgive me. My experience was just that. You guys at least seem like this is reorienting your whole lives. Okay. All right. Let's go. So I'd go and I would go, and honestly, I would go with intentions of kind of stirring up controversy. I'd be the guy kind of getting in arguments, asking the questions, like, how can you believe that? And are you kidding me? And really, what about this? And what about that? And it got to such a degree that my Bible study leader, who I owe my salvation to, because he went in circles with me, as you'll see, he went to the, the, the uh, Campus Crusade staff guy at the time and he said, Dude, what do I do with this kid? Like, he's, he's, he's derailing our Bible study every time we meet. And the staff leader, bless his heart, I think I know who he talked to, uh, said, I think you gotta ask this guy to step out. I mean, if no one's able to kind of be edified and grow and move, you gotta ask him to, to leave. Well, my Bible study leader prayed on that. And he would tell me later, he said, dude, I feel like God just put it on my heart. Don't do that. I'm bringing this kid to the Lord. To myself, I guess is what God would say. I'm bringing this kid to myself. And so he, he, he let me stay in. In other words, he didn't just kind of say, get off the line, it's over. He kept going around in circles with me, even though I was an idiot, even though I was belligerent, even though I was a jerk. I would go sometimes hammered. But he kept going around in circles with me. I remember this I mean, Chuck, such an amazing guy. I mean, he, he, he introduced me to his favorite bands. He welcomed me in with his friends. He, uh, he would grab lunch with me on a regular basis. He was the guy who first took me surfing. Now, I don't like to surf. I'm not good at it. But man, as a kid from Arizona, I mean, I was like, this is so amazing. He just kept going around with me. And remember, this is an upperclassman. I'm a freshman. This is not cool. For him to be doing this. And that really meant something. You see. He kept going around and around and around. And each time we went around. It's like we got a little bit further along the line. And in God's providence when suffering came. My Bible study was still there. And I'm sitting there weeping. going, I don't know what to do. And they led me to Jesus. And my life has never been the same. Because they went in circles around me. I fell in line. And I would bet nine out of ten of us in this room have the same sort of story. Where it was someone who was willing to press into you, love you to your own hurt. Show you, show you, not just talk about the wounds of Jesus, but show you them in their own life. I'm not talking stigmata or something creepy. I'm just saying... They can see you suffer in love for them. And they go, that's Jesus right there. I don't know who else that could be. So the question then, again, as we close, becomes Are we that for anybody in our lives right now? Are we engaged in that? Absolutely, engage the line. Go, do things, but be ready for the circle. Be ready to go around. Especially in this post-Christian world where they're suspicious of us and thinking we're just salespeople bringing some things. Don't reinforce their suspicions. By the moment they reject Jesus, you reject them. Bring the sun out over them again. Bring the rain out over them again. Go around with them again. Love them like Christ has loved you. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you do. The ways that you've been faithful to us, Jesus. We are so amazed that you would be patient, that you would make room for the coming of your Son. You would make room for us to stop rejecting, doubting, turning away, so we could be saved. God, we pray you'd make us a church willing to go around in circles with everyone else like you have with us. It's in your name I ask these things. Amen.